On this episode of AV Week, we asked the question, was Infocom a success? Taking a look at how software can solve the supply chain issue and the value of AV awards. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 534, recorded Friday, November 12, 2021. Supply Chain Software. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by FSR. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Welcome back uh, to at least a somewhat semblance of normality. Uh, spent two weeks showing you the latest and greatest from Infocom. Uh, and while me and one of my other guests got to gallivant over to London, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. First and foremost, Jen Steinhardt, great to see her, and I will uh, get to see her in person uh, in a few weeks. So how how are you, ma'am? Thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Uh, also with us is Mr. Chaz Porter. Chaz uh, is up by uh, New Boston, not New Boston Way, Boston Way. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I try to combine New England and Boston at this. Anyhow, uh, and last but not least, my travel buddy uh, for the UK last week, Mr. Chris Netto. Welcome, sir. How you doing? Does my British accent come across a little better this week? No, you still sound like you're from New Jersey. So, All right. which there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. Let cheerio. Let's um, go. Cheerio. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about some Twitter stuff in a second, but first and foremost, before we even get into the um, into the stories, uh, congratulations to Mr. Neto, who, as a personal uh, accomplishment, has topped 10,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, actually, just yesterday or today. today. Uh, welcome, sir. Big news today. Congratulations. Yeah, so. and it, it, it was unexpected, but uh, for those that are wondering, it's I've been on this uh, platform now for 10 years. didn't happen overnight. It's not a magical thing that happened, but, you know, now I'm waiting to see what happens with the magical number of 10,000. Does that open up, you know, the forbidden door? Do I, do, do, am I allowed to get a blue check mark now? Does it give me a little bit of validity You're not towards Twitter? Twitter? Of course no, I'm not. No. After they see my early tweets no. in the early days, yeah. anti-pineapple movement that I have going. So you never know. <laughs> also explains why Mr. Neto uh, did a presentation at Midwich um, in the UK on social media and marketing and branding. So, yeah, that kind of a thing. Uh, first story comes to us actually from our own website, avionation.tv. It was a press release put out by Infocom, by Avixa, uh, saying that, quote, unquote, after 28 months without an in-person Infocom show in North America, Infocom 21, welcome back to the pro AV industry with a uh, counted for 7,500 uh, folks, I'm sorry, 7,335 uh, is, is the official um, verified attendance. Total registrations came in at just over 14,000. Um, I'm going to start with, with Chaz on this and, and, and a couple pieces here that I want to clarify. Uh, number one, Chaz was at Infocom. Jen was at Infocom for, for about a day doing a presentation. Aviation was in Infocom. CTI was actually an exhibitor as well. Infocom, Mr. Neto was involved in the morning show of Infocom, was not, not, was not physically there, right? So the, the overarching question here was, was, was Infocom a success? Seeing these numbers, right, you know, certainly it was a drop. That is not nothing. That is not 
unexpected. It is certainly something that we talked about when we interviewed Dave Labuskis, when uh, Mr. Labuskis went on other uh, shows as well, and he, he certainly talked about that. Uh, Chaz was actually, you know, just uh, right next to uh, the CTI booth. We could throw things at each other uh, with the FSR booth. So, Chaz, we'll start with you. Um, was was Infocom a success? Well, I'll answer a very short question with a semi-lengthy answer, but but try to be as quick as I can. You know, you and I saw each other the first day of setup, yep. and we walked into this cavernous building, and I think we both shared our sentiments that we were gasping for air, that, oh, what have we done? What have we committed our teams to? But that changed very quickly on the first day of the show, uh, we had customers at our booth all day long. Um, we were very busy all day long. Um, and there was a positive vibe. We talked about it the entire week. Customers were very happy that our company took the time to attend the show. And, and the other thing that I find about the AV industry is we are a hands-on industry. You know, our customer set likes to touch and feel and see and as great as online uh, presentations are, it just it lacks that uh, that intrinsic feel. We got that back in front of the customers. They were very appreciative of it. And and I'll share some numbers. You know, it was easy when we came out of the show. Everybody was on a high, very enthusiastic about the show. But when you get back and you look at the numbers, now you have to really evaluate was it success or failure. In our case, it was very much a success. You know, if you look at the numbers that uh, Avixa posted about the show versus the number of attendees that, uh, that came to our booth, we are actually higher percentage-wise than we would be at a normal Infocom. So in that way, it's very much a success. It also gave us um, reason to look at how we do these shows and one of our takeaways, we've always gone bigger and bigger and more displays. And I, I think you and I talked about this right after the show. We've really evaluated and will do our future shows much differently. You know, less flair and, and more substance. That's what it's going to be all about at the next few shows. All right, Jen, from somebody who came to the show uh, to do a presentation from your perspective or um, for you personally or, or for even the industry, what do you feel the, the success of Infocom was? I think that Infocom in and of itself was in a near impossible situation to begin with. I think that overall it was a success. Um, I think that what the manufacturers presenting put into it, some of the pros that Chaz was talking about are excellent examples of that, of really doing a postmortem and, and putting more effort into really focusing on how can we put on a good show so I think there are a lot of good things that came from that. Was it as big as it was or it normally is? No, but I think that as an attendee, uh, getting to network and still get involved with the industry, um, we were able to do that. And I think that of all of the highs and lows of these past couple of years, we should take a moment and at least celebrate that. And Jen, can I ask you a quick question? Sure. How did you feel about the time that you got to spend with the people that you were there? The purpose of your uh, of attending the show was to visit customers and such. Did you feel we felt we got more time with each 
party. And I just was wondering whether you got the same reaction. I do think that being able to spend more time was definitely a positive side of it. Um, it was, and I think that um, there was a lot of uh, ability to take space and um, navigate freely, take time focusing with either customers or with manufacturers. So yeah, definitely. I think that this was also, by the way, my first Infocom, to be fair. So I couldn't compare it to another one, but having it still being my first Infocom was still a po very positive experience. Yeah, I, I will say the, the, the number of first-time attendees actually did reduce uh, from 2019 to, to 2021. Um, however, uh, on the, the, the subject of Tim's right once a year, uh, I was, I, I'm not going to say it was a vast majority of higher education, but I said several times that this was the, this was the Infocom for higher ed. Uh, and that percentage actually almost doubled uh, from 2019 to 2020, uh, 2021 rather. Um, it wasn't a majority, right, of the attendees. I, I didn't get that part right. But certainly the, the, the growth of, um, of the higher ed, and a lot of that was because of first timers like, like Jen, not that Jen's in higher ed, but anyhow. Uh, Mr. Neto? From somebody who watched it remotely, um, although you did take part in the in the, one of the morning shows that they were doing, um, was was Infocom a success? Depends on how you label a success, right? You have seven thousand people on there. Normally, you have forty thousand attending, with roughly about now. I'm just going to go off numbers that I remember from 2018 or 2019 last show. Forty thousand people attend on the social front, which would be communicating out. You have roughly about thirty-five hundred to four thousand people tweeting. So what's the percentage when there's only 7,000 there? Very few. Um, you also have a lot of companies that took a hit during the pandemic. Some of the first groups that were let go were their marketing and social media groups uh, because they saw less value in that and they needed more salespeople. Um, that was evident because a lot of social from the companies themselves was kind of down. Um, I asked the question, what technology was, was there? What, was, what were people looking at? Uh, and the resounding answer was there wasn't much announcement of new technology, and that's unfortunate, right? But it's also understood, you know, at a time where there's, you know, a, a lot of challenges in the world of R&D, well, not so much in the R&D space, but in the manufacturing space, and to get product out, you know, if products are being delayed, that's understood. They're still trying to get products that were out from two years ago, you know, up to speed uh, due to uh, supply shortage and parts and chains. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt and to understand better what's going on. Um, me personally, I had a, the minute I said, said that I wasn't able to attend, my schedule went completely full, right? So I did not have the ability to follow along online with their live streaming option, which I wish I had. Uh, and the people that have, that did follow it did get a lot of uh, value out of it, uh, at least from the people I spoke to. But, um, you know, for somebody who checked in, all I saw was selfies and hugs, man. I, you know, that's that's wonderful. And if you weren't going into the show and realizing that there's a lot of pent-up aggression of people wanting to reconnect with people again, then you're you're out of your mind. Because I think Infocom, if anything, which nobody wants to talk about, was that Infocom was a big reunion right now. Uh, it was the reunion that people needed, even with 7,000 folks in attendance. It gave people the opportunity to be amongst people that they can talk to. I mean... 18 plus months that I've spent at, at my house prior to going to London, uh, I couldn't have any real face-to-face -face conversations about why HDMI is a pain in my butt. You know what I'm saying? Or why eDid sucks. Nobody understands that in my house, but to actually be, 
you know, in front of folks and talking. Yeah. I mean, kudos to Joe Way. I mean, he was a tour de force when it came to social. He made it a point to be as loud as possible. And that all works in an advantage to the technology managers who at this time of year, it's the right time of year for them because this is not the crazy time of being there in June when installs are about to start and they're not looking for product. So they're out there. Absolutely. They're out there looking like Elmer Fudd. It is rabbit season and they're looking for stuff to find. Uh, if you don't know that reference, please go wiki it because uh, I just realized a lot of millennials may not know that one. So anyway, so kudos to, to what was going on. I have a mixed review. Uh, I think if Ocom, you know, wanted to do the show and they did it, and I think for the people that went there is great. You take the value that you personally, Jen, went there for, and Chaz, you take your your numbers and the value that you guys have extracted out of it. You look at it and see how it works. It does make sense. The numbers make sense in that if you have a lower attendance but get higher quality hits, then it does add up, right? I'm just not here to justify, you know, if you spent $5 and you spent $1,000, what makes that more valuable to you? But you can all extract little bits and pieces of whatever you need to make it that I just I'm, I'm just bored of being down on, on, on the whole subject of pandemic at this point. Let's move to the next topic. Well, I, we, we will hear in a second but, uh, as we wrap up here. I, I will say I learned something as from a, an exhibitor side this year. Your ROI is dependent on, on your company. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and Chaz has a different ROI than Jen does and there's a different ROI than CTI does. Um, our early numbers, we, we have two. Uh, new new clients that we talk to directly on the show floor that are that are realizing um, relationships with as we speak right now and we're only two weeks out out of the show so you know it depends on, on who you are and, and where you're you're coming from your ROI could very well be different so your your definition of success is different is, is there, you also and I have to add this Tim uh, as somebody who has worked on the show floor as as uh, an exhibitor as well. It makes you rethink. The staffs that went there from a manufacturer's uh, perspective, I'm sure Chaz can agree that it was a reduced size staff, right? If you normally send 100, you're not sending 100 to this show. you got to be picky and choosing what this actually should lesson learn for a lot of folks that are exhibiting. You should be picky and choosing about who you're sending, right? Because if you are going to send people that are that are active, that are that are social, that can drive the relationships... I think that's what has that, that made it key for a lot of folks. If you sent your best engineers and they don't know how to talk to folks because the engineers just know engineering and don't know how to how to bring forth somebody who hasn't seen another AV person in 18 months, you could have been in for a, a pretty bad surprise. So like you said, everybody's value is going to be different. But I think you're going to start in 2022, you're going to see almost like a personality profile start going into – you know, if we're going to send people out there, let's bring in people that are going to be, you know, the, have the ability to talk, get into the halls and talk to folks and bring them in because not everybody is going to feel good in approaching. So that's yeah. something that I yeah. think is going to play into 2022. And again, 2022 is going to continue the whole networking theme that uh, I, I know manufacturers want to talk tech, but there's going to be a lot of people that have missed Infocom now, at least 35,000 that weren't there are going to show up in the desert looking for something to do and somebody to talk to and to share their experience over the past two years. So, Yeah, absolutely. All right, next story here comes to us from our friends over at AB Network and SCN. Uh, our buddy Steve Greenblatt is writing about how software alternatives can address hardware supply chain issues. 
just the title there got me, and, and Steve's a smart guy, so I keep right reading the article. Uh, he, he writes, quote, unquote, the reduction of fixed hardware within an installed system is a definite trend. Rather than purpose-based devices that are limited in their capacity or capability, software, IT networks, cloud, stuff like that, um, the capability and efficiency necessary for higher outcomes. Uh, this is what is providing clients rather than with the, the uh, added flexibility. Jen, I want to start with you on this. The, the overall premise of, of Steve's article is like is that we could overcome some of these, these supply chain issues, some of these chip shortages, maybe not today or tomorrow, but in, in the, the short term as well as in the long term, by moving towards software solutions. Does that make sense? Does that make you nervous, whether that is in the commercial end, the residential end? The security part of AV, does that make, does that move and, and does that trajectory make a whole lot of sense? I think that it can help, but by no means solve the problem. You still need something to run the software and maintain it. Um, the security side, though, was the biggest red flag for me, particularly when we're talking about replacing um, solutions um, that we've been using for a long time. Innovation is great, and I think that it's definitely worth pursuing. I think that it's the right track uh, for certain solutions. Um, but I wish you didn't start with me because I'm very curious what these other gentlemen think. <laughs> well, then, then jump in because Neto just going to say, yeah, absolutely, Steve Smart, and, and we move on. Uh, Neto, same question here is, you know, um, Chris works for Starin Marketing, uh, distributor of a whole lot of products, including some software-type solutions. So so what do you look at at this and, and, and what Greenblatt says about, you know, moving towards more software? I love that Steve wrote an article. Unfortunately, in our industry, people love to read and throw things away. We've been talking about software as a service for years. We've been talking about hardware as a service for years. SaaS, you name it, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's a tough, it's a, it, it's a mindset change that AV got a rude awakening to over the last 18 months. Um, and we could be at the forefront of helping this change happen, but instead we're fighting it. So let me explain. Um, we know we can get away with putting a compute on site and doing a lot of things remotely, right? But in an, in an AV world, we typically will just pull back and say, have your IT department to, to, you know, provide you that. And that I, IT department will provide you the most stripped down, basic, no-nonsense computer that you need to just get by, right? The good enough standard comes in. You know, there are not many folks out there specking in something for the long term anymore, right? Uh, we know that, Tim, as people that are remote, right? And as uh, podcasters mm -hmm. and people that do video on the road, my, you know, corporate laptop may not be good enough to drive the, the, the have the horsepower to drive the things I need to do to do some edits and to drive a camera that does something a little different, right? Or that needs a little bit of, you know, five or six different peripherals attached to it. Um, I think as a whole, software as a service is a great idea to keep stuff in the cloud, but um, I think that AV has to really stop what they're doing. Think about, you know, there's a bigger picture, and that is an education piece to the people that are providing you the equipment, for example, at a corporate facility that's providing you their, you know, their, their standards-based PC. Can it have extra horsepower? Can it do these extra things, right? Because I know my computer struggled when I would put a USB camera and ran an app, you know, some sort of video conferencing application a couple years ago, right? Because those PC-based systems or those laptops 
we're not built with the best audio and sound cards, right? And we didn't know what the problem was. We were getting blamed. It was your stuff. That's yeah, AV's problem, but it's not. Your computers actually needed a little bit more, uh, a little bit more speed to it. So there's always going to be that friction between the hardware. We understand hardware. We need to step in and say, listen, that we can compromise with the hardware to get this software stuff going. And I would love to see that. And I hope that's where Steve was going with it. So, um, you know, can we do stuff like hardware as a service and software as a service? Absolutely. There's plenty of companies, including my own, that will provide that. But we need to, um, we need to make people feel comfortable that they can do it as well. Because a lot of old school integration houses that see boxes on a shelf, it's a lot easier. It makes a lot of sense. Grab that box, ship it, get paid. Hardware service, reoccurring revenue, it's a different model. I've talked about it on AVM. Uh, a lot of people love the idea. A lot of people like the, the concept of it until it's time to get paid. And then they have to understand it again. And it's a hard, uh, it's it's new math for a lot of us old folks again. So. All right, Chaz, as somebody who, who does, you know, supply a lot of hardware, what you look at an article like this, does this make sense to you? Does it does it frighten you? Does it make you excited for the future? What do you, what do you see? We look at this whole hardware and software as a service kind of from a different position. Even though we're a traditional AV company, the majority of the products we sell are enclosures, infrastructure products. And we see a lot of growth in the smart building technology, which just branches right into what the AV world is doing, you know, connected products. And, and I think you know, the personal side of me gets a little nervous because I see how many updates I get every week on my iPhone. Um, and we all know that software can be buggy in the issues and the security issues. But I, I think as a trend, that's where our industry is going. And I, I agree with Chris in that people have not really, very, very few of us in our industry have wrapped their heads around where this is going and the changes that we need to address out there. All right. Jen, did you want to jump in and, 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 uh, and either disagree or, or agree with either of those guys? No, I, I agree really with both of them. And, and again, I just think that it really comes down to what, whatever you're trying to do, if you're trying to, you can't replace everything with software. Um, and to Chris's point, um, you know, the software still needs to run by something. So if you're going to need better computers from what you have, um, then it's really a, quite a conundrum for a supply chain uh, resolution. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mentioned the fact that Mr. Neto and I got to hang out in London last week. That is not to uh, to poke fun at anybody or, or, or uh, you know, um, whatever. But we did get our chance to get back to London for the AV Awards for 2021. Um, Mitchell, if you could put a link to that stream, that would be lovely. Uh, we'll put a link on this episode's page. I'll start with, with Mr. Neto. If you're not familiar, first of all, go go watch the thing. It's it's really 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 remarkable, especially as, as a as a big dumb American going over to the UK and, and seeing something. It is a black tie affair, and as a kid from the Midwest, that is uh, wholly um, um, unfamiliar to me in any way, shape, or form. The very first time we went over there, which was 2018, I believe. Um, but it's a night that the 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 folks at AV Magazine. They really celebrate the, the, the AV industry, not just in Europe, but also, you know, beyond. Um, Chris, you look at, at stuff like that. You look at, at other awards. What is the value uh, of awards and awards ceremony in AV? 
man. Uh, I, this is an age old argument that every year around this is we're in award season, right? So this is an argument that comes up this year again, because every year it's the same conversation. Uh, I did a class on personal branding uh, while I was there. You were there, uh, Mr. Albright, to, to be part of it. Um, one of the things that I focus on when I do personal branding is, you know, you're doing things on the personal brand side to obviously to, to, to help highlight what you do, right? It's, your, it's to your advantage that you say, hey, you know, I'm a good technician. I want to be a better technician. I'm applying for the role of senior technician, whatever that is. Okay. In the world of awards and how that relates back to personal brand, if you, like yourself, were up for a Rave Award and you won uh, the Personality of the Year, congratulations, sir, uh, that is something you put on your CV. Why? Because you were one of four people that have, were, were nominated and won that award. Now, on the same token, I'm not bitter because I was on that same ballot. But for me, first of all, I get to, I get to constantly blow up your head now and make you feel super, 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 super duper important because you won an award for the first time. You're usually the award giver, but not the award receiver. So congratulations, sir. But I was on that ballot. And how do I use being on that ballot is that I am a two-time finalist. And the same goes for manufacturers that are there at the AV Awards. You know, a lot of people want to win. You want to get the egg, you know, the, the little eggs trophy, and you want to go on stage, and you want to be up next to a presenter, and you want to hear Chris and Tim say your name maybe over the broadcast, right? But the fact is this. If you are one of 10 manufacturers that were selected for event of the year, own that. Live that. There is nothing wrong with saying that you were a finalist. There is nothing wrong with accepting an award. If your peers are judging you based on your body of work, absolutely. It doesn't matter to me if it's your, you know, it, it feels better coming from reader's choice, from your, your peers choosing you than a panel, a secret panel of judges, because you don't know where, where, who they are, not that it matters. But the fact that you are even considered for that, dude, own that. You are at the top of your game if people are recognizing what you do, how many thousands of projects, how many thousands of widgets are out there, right? And you got selected, especially in a year that we've had over the last two, you know, two years, kudos, man, because you know what? In, in the last two years, the only noise that you can make has been online. And the one thing that your company can do is obviously push that stuff and, and apply for these awards. I don't care if you're paying, you know, $100, $200, whatever the fee is to get in. It doesn't bother me. If that's what it takes to process, so be it. And it eliminates a lot of everybody else who's sitting home trying to, you know, just put a digital screen up at McDonald's and say that's a big deal. It's not. It's everything else that goes with it. So I'm a staunch supporter of all types of awards, whether you're paying a fee to get in or a free one to get in. But absolutely, man, that is do not do not think that it is a bad thing to receive an award and absolutely own it. If you were just a, if you were even nominated to the very end. All right. Chaz, same question uh, from a manufacturer standpoint. Uh, FSR has won a number of awards over the years, uh, whether that's for Infocom or CD or whatever. Uh, when you look at, at stuff like this, what is the value from a manufacturer standpoint? Well, it, it means a lot to us because, you know, I'm the director of sales. I get out, I get to talk to customers, and I see their reaction to our products. But when we receive awards from industry organizations, that elevates the, the, the key there to our engineers, and they get recognition inside the company that really helps us, you know, and 
I think it, it goes beyond just these awards ceremonies. A commercial integrator does a, a 40 to watch under 40. I think that's a great thing to shine the, the spotlight on some younger people that are doing great things in our industry. I, I think recognition is absolutely a, a good thing. Chaz, can I, can I add to that? Because Chaz hit on something that's super important. If you work for a company, for example, that does not hand out recognition or say thanks very often, and you're part of a project, and you know you're part of a project that won an award, dude, that, that could be the difference maker between you staying with that company or moving on, right? It's, it's a big thing. And having that as a motivation tool, that plays that plays a big part in the way things are operating right now, because look at the, the folks or generations that are entering right now, the different generations that are in this space, right? Where maybe the older generation needed the award because that was kind of like you needed to put it up on your trophy case. The newer generation want that award maybe because they're feeling to be part of a team or part of something bigger because maybe that's their, their mindset. So I don't know. I, I think there is way too many positives in the corner of awards when it comes to morale, team boosting, and just overall good, you know, good feeling. And again, if you, even if you are just nominated, the fact that you worked on a team that got nominated for an award, uh, that, that should, that should really boost your psyche. All right, Jen, you'll have the last one on this. What, what is the value of, of awards, whether that's for products or even, even for projects? I think that awards are a really great thing. And I I received my first award being on SCN The Nine this year. And it being new to the industry um, and to be recognized in any form or fashion, whether it's a like on Twitter or an award, is a very exciting thing. And it's a way to get people more involved. Um, one of the things in awards in general is that how do we get more people involved and how do we get more circulation into the people that are maybe more like me who are just kind of still fresh to the industry or trying to, what is this industry about? And being able to see new names um, and network with new people and again, just celebrate the industry in general. Uh, the only negatives is what we're taking time. I think it's an excellent thing. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> yeah, we, and we spoke to Jenny uh, when we were out there with Jenny Hicks, and she said, mm -hmm. you know, over the years, companies that have award uh, that have won, for example, at the AV Awards, that have won an AV Award, that put them on the map. Now it's very different. Obviously, UK is a lot smaller of a country or a lot smaller space, and whereas more UK-based kind of conversations is one thing. But winning that award put a lot of eyes on your company. If you are an experiential house or creator uh, that's working alongside the actual manufacturers who are putting in the displays, that gets eyes on you. And that, again, is another positive that goes to, yeah. goes to it. Maybe you have right. some negatives, Tim. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I mean, it, it, it's um, – I thank you for mentioning that, the, the award, and, and I – I, I take one one good solace with it is the fact that I beat you. So uh, <laughs> on that note, thank you all so much for coming. Uh, Jen Steinhardt, how do people connect with you, ma'am? Uh, you can connect with me um, on uh, Twitter at NerdyGirlAV, um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you don't feel like fishing for links, uh, NerdyGirl.com has access to all my shenanigans. 
Yeah, and they are there. Some fantastic shenanigans, just for the record. Um, also, chat. Actually, Jen, Jen is one. Jen is the reason I'm even on uh, on TikTok. Um, so uh, she's the one who kind of wrote me in, Be- even before my 15 year old. Jen, Jen got me on TikTok. Uh, Chaz, how do people connect with you or FSR? My email is uh, Chaz at FSRINC dot com. Uh, Twitter is at Chaz underscore FSR Inc. All right, very good. Mr. 10,000, how do people connect with you? Well, before you connect with me, please go right now, everybody, and search for Dancing Tim. That's his TikTok name. You will find him doing the shuffle every other day on the TikTok. The Super Bowl shuffle. The the, the icky shuffle. How about that? I'll get you one more. Whatever. You can find me on Twitter, Chris underscore Neto. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Midwich Live, which is our once a month uh, podcast that I do alongside Jenny Hicks from Midwich. And uh, if you're looking for the company that I work for, uh, we'll be able to help you with a lot of your parts and supply issues uh, because we have parts and supplies. Uh, so you can find us at Sterin.biz. All right, very good. And I finally made it on Midwich Live after however many months of badgering you and Jenny. So uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on the Twitters. Uh, I don't have 10,000 people so that is follow where him on Mr. tiktok instead get. much more animated yeah follow me on tiktok and it's not dancing tim and if you look for dancing tim and it's something untoward <laughs> blame Nutter. um go by the website if you would please avnation.tv that's avnation.tv you'll find programs like this and a host of others including our buddy matt scott his show uh, is called resi week and you can find that every wednesday also check out our sponsors folks like fsr uh, sponsoring us we thank them for their support and their support of us going to infocom and in about oh two or three months time integrated systems europe uh, we are headed there uh, so long as the spanish government will let us in uh, but we will be headed over to barcelona first week of february so check all that out and more at avionation.tv that's avionation.tv thanks so much for listening thank you so much for watching that's all the time we have for av week 